Hi there. Just trying to get myself together up here. Happy Mother's Day. Do we already give it up for the moms? Okay, so we're, are, we are in the book of Hebrews. A couple things, there's a, uh, up, up on the stage here, there are two handouts. The first one is an outline of the book of Hebrews. Uh, as I looked, talked in our intro last week, the book of Hebrews has these warnings throughout it. 84 verses of the 303 in the book are warnings. You can take them out and you can still read the book. You still can understand what's being said. But those warnings in there are for us. The book of Hebrews is written to, to believers. So we're going to look at that. We're just starting a book. So that's up here. The other thing that's up here is a prayer guide from Tony Perkins. He's the president of Watchmen on the Wall for our nation's healing. And specifically with what's going on now with this Supreme Court decision. So he's got 10 things in there to pray for. We used our hour prayer uh, yesterday. Yesterday was Saturday, right? Yeah. He writes this, may this be the dawn of a day we all prayed for, where all human life is welcomed into our arms and cherished in our laws. We need to be praying, praying, praying. And so if you just grab one of these, it's excellent. He's got scriptures and then ways that we can be praying for this, what's going on in our nation right now. So those two things are up here for you to take. Now, before I start, one more thing. It's Garrett's birthday today. He didn't want me to, I didn't even say happy birthday to him before because I didn't want to even get a clue that I knew, but I do know. He is 30 years old today. Oh, yeah. Well, how sweet, right? Hi, Laura. So happy birthday to you. Happy birthday. Stand up. Stand. <laughs> Happy birthday, dear Garrett. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> I'm very glad that you were born. Thank you, Trudy. Is Trudy here? Not yet. Okay. All right. Would you stand? We'd like to stand in reading the word, honoring God. This is his word. He said he esteemed the word above his very name. So every time we read the Bible, every time we hear the Bible, every time we memorize the Bible, every time we talk about the Bible, God's word, he is speaking to us. This morning, he will be speaking to us. So in Hebrews chapter 1, I'm going to go Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, and then we'll jump to chapter 2, 1 through 4. Here we go. God, who at various times and in various ways, spoke in time past to the prophets, to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. In chapter 2, verse 1, we have the first warning, these four verses. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. 
For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. In, cha- in Psalm, cha- I'd like to do a responsive reading in Psalm 3. So if I'll read the first and odd if you would read the second together in even verses. Lord, how, how, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they who rise up against me. But you, O Lord, are a shield for me, my glory, and the one who lifts up my head. I lay down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustained me. Arise, O Lord, save me. O my God, for you have struck all my enemies on the cheekbone. You have broken the teeth of the ungodly. Lord, we take that verse 8. We say that we think salvation belongs to you. You have given to us this great salvation. And in that is the blessings that you want to bring into our lives as your people. So, Lord, we ask, I would ask, the things that I prepared, please break them fresh. Feed us. We're hungry. We know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Even in Hebrews, Lord, over and over, don't harden our hearts. Hear what's being said. Take heed. So, Lord, this morning we are here to do just that. We pray, Lord, your blessing over the things that I prepared. You you would speak to us and bless this time now in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. So it says here of Jesus in chapter 1, verse 4, having become so much better than the angels as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. So angels is used 13 times in Hebrews in chapters 1 and 2, 11 of those times. So we're going to talk about angels. The, the word itself simply means a messenger. It's, it was used of John the Baptist as well as spiritual beings that we can't see. It was used of the messengers, John the Baptist, many other times. Another one is the two spies that went to, in, that went to Rahab's house were called angels, the same word, messengers. In the book of Revelation, you have the whole of the seven churches. And the angel of the church in Ephesus, right. And the angel of the church in Pergamos, right. And the angel of the church in Smyrna, right. And that word is the same word. So some believe that those messengers, those angels, are actually the pastor. I like that. I'm an angel. There we have it. <laughs> so as we get into this, uh, this section this morning, there are seven quotations from the Old Testament, six of them from the book of Psalms. We'll look at those. They all emphasize the superiority of Jesus Christ over the angels, as well as many other things. In fact, all things. In the Expositor's Bible Commentary, they write this, quote, none of the angels or anyone else was ever singled out and given the kind of status this passage gives to Christ, unquote. Griffith Thomas wrote this, quote, these seven passages are descriptive of Christ as son from his incarnation to his glory, his sonship, his coming, his exaltation and rule, his millennial reign, and the culmination of all things, Unquote. So it says, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Then he says, 
For to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I've begotten? Which of the angels did he ever say? That's the question. So in Psalm 2-7 is where this is quoted from. I will declare the decree the Lord has said to me, capital M, it's prophetic of Messiah, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Now angels corporately, as Israel itself, were called, were called sons of God, or, and as were the angels. But God says, you are my son. It's individual, it's one person. His name is Jesus. Today I have begotten you. So there are those that would, would reference this to the incarnation of Jesus in this world. Today I have begotten you. Psalm 2-7 also speaks of the resurrection of Jesus, the Son of God. Paul on his first missionary journey, when he's in the synagogue in Antioch, and he, they asked him to share. So he stood up and he began to share with them. He rehearses Israel's history down through the years. And then he, this is what he says, and we declare to you, verse 32, glad tidings, that, that promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled for us, their children, in that he has raised up Jesus, as is also written in the second psalm, there it is, you are my son, today I have begotten you, and that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption. He has spoken thus, I will give you the sure mercies of David. So Jesus himself, this is prophetic of him as the son of God, his incarnation, his resurrection. The second one, Hebrews 1, 5, and again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. This is from 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 14, which says this, I will be his father, he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, I will chasten him with the rod of men and with the blows of the sons of men. So originally, this is talking about Solomon. David's heir to the throne, his promised son, it was understood that the Messiah would come from the line of David. The writer applies it to Jesus. So it's prophetic again, the second of these quotes. Now, the question again is this, for to which of the angels did he ever say? And the answer is simply, not a single angel ever. This is talking about Jesus, his exaltation, his greatness above all the angels. Now, verse number, the third one in verse 6. But when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. So in Psalm 97, 7, it's not quite the, the exact that the others usually are. But it says, let all, put, let all be put to shame who serve carved images and boast of idols. Worship him, God, all you gods or all you angels. Worship him, not these carved images. So the firstborn into the world, again, may be looking back to his incarnation when he's wrapped in swaddling clothes as her son, Mary. The again may be looking to his second coming. When he comes again into the world, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. So the angels worshiped him in eternity past. The angels worshiped him in his first coming. The angels worshipped him in heaven as we speak. The angels worshipped him, will worship at his second coming. The angels worship him in his millennial reign. And the, the angels will worship him throughout all eternity. So that says to me, can we do any less but worship him? And really the author of Hebrew is telling us he is to be worshipped. He's above all others. He is God. Number, the fourth one, verse 7. 
And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels spirits and his ministers a flame of fire. From Psalm 104, verse 4. Now, unlike Clarence, angels are swift and powerful. In this way, angels are superior to men, human beings. But Jesus is superior to all of them, including us. These are his angels. These are his ministers that he made them to serve his purposes. We have guardian angels. So the question again, which of the angels did he ever say? Not a single angel ever. But he did say, let all the angels worship him. And he did say, he makes his angels ministers, his ministers. Number five, uh, in verses eight and nine, but to the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you the oil of gladness more than your companions. He has companions in this great joy that was set before him, as Hebrews tells us, chapter 12. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and what? Is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus went to the cross understanding what that would accomplish and who he was, he was sort of going through it with this joy set before him that he would, yes, be reunited with his father in heaven. That would happen. But then also these companions, us, the church, he died for you. He died for me. He will be, he is ascended, he is exalted, he is coming again, and he will reign on the earth as well as then into eternity when we are with him as his companions. Psalm 45, from which this is quoted, describes the final trump triumph of God's Messiah. The final trump triumph of the King of Kings. The final triumph of the joy that will be in that forever and ever, and we are his companions. So number five, verses eight and nine. Number six, verses 10 through 12. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all grow old like a garment. How many of you have old garments? They're going to grow old like a garment. Like a cloak, you're going to fold them up, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will not fail. You are the same. You are eternal. This is from Psalm 102. It's Jesus in his eternal changelessness. He changes everything, but he changes not. He is the agent of all transformation. Jesus. From creation to the new creation... He is the redeemer. He is the transformer. But he himself changes not. It gives us such an assurance in all the things that are going on that Jesus changes not. The earth and heavens that seem so secure, so permanent, will be rolled up like a scroll be folded up like an old garment. Cataclysmic and frightening will be that day of the Lord. 
In Revelation chapter 6, I looked when he opened the sixth seal. And behold, there was a great earthquake. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up. And every mountain island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, and every slave and every free man said, said to fall on us, hide us. They hid in the, hide us from, the, from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of his wrath has come. And who is able to stand? Jesus is complete charge of everything. And there's coming a day when he will return. And there will be judgment like has never been seen, as Jesus said, on the earth before. And that can shake you up, and it should sober us up. But listen, he who holds us will keep us through all the shakings that might come along. And we are not destined for wrath, but for salvation through him. And so in Revelation, the end of the book, it says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, he's going to shake things. He's going to judge this earth. We as his companions, we as his saints will be protected and kept through all, every cataclysmic thing that might happen. And we ourselves will experience the new heaven, the new earth. God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death. There will be no more crying. There will be no more uh, sorrow. There will be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Can you say amen? The former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. It's coming. It's coming. He said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. The seventh one is in verse 13. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies my foot, your footstool? Psalm 110, the right hand is a place of supreme authority to your enemies, your footstool. In other words, utterly subject to him. It's falling up on this whole thing of the garment being folded up, the sky receding, saying, I'm going to utterly subject them to you, your enemies. Your enemies will be rendered utterly powerless before you. Jesus said, you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Revelation chapter 1. Behold, he is coming with clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him, even so. Amen. I'm the Alpha and the May, the beginning and the end. I am he who was and is and is to come. And this Jesus, this supremacy is repeated five times book of Hebrews, and alluded to many other times. Sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Sat down at the right hand of God. He sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is seated in complete authority and exaltation, and he will do the things that he's purposed to do, and he will bring an end to all these things with a new beginning, a new end, and eternity. The question is, for which of the angels did he ever say? The answer, none. Has he ever said, sit up my, no, to no angel, but to only the Jesus. And so he says there, Jesus is supreme over the angel, but then the question is, so what? 
fact, we might even be, well, I know that. And so he says, therefore, he leads into this warning, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just word, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, and was confirmed to us by those who heard him? God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. And so what is this? There's things that we have heard of our great salvation. We must take heed to them. We must, in other words, pick it up a notch. It's the picture of a boat, lest we drift away. It's the picture of a boat when left unanchored begins to slowly drift, lest we drift away. How does that happen? If we neglect so great a salvation. That's how that drifting happens. To fail to care for it properly. Now, the question is, is there anything that when neglected gets better? Is there any relationship That when when neglected, it gets better. None. So, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things which you have heard, lest we drift away. So, that so what is this? The things we've heard of our great salvation, we need to notch it up and realize we need to be thinking about these things. We need to be taking heed to these. We need to be considering these things, meditating on these things. What's the greatness? Number one, it's the greatness of the Savior. Number two, it's the greatness of the Scriptures. Number three, it's the greatness of the Holy Spirit. And number four, it's the greatness of being saved. Can you say amen? It's the greatness of being saved. How were you saved? Well, you were such a good guy. You picked it up a notch and God said, God knows it. I mean, I think I could use you. You show God how lovely you are. (laughs) He shall laugh at them. (laughs) No, when you were a sinner, when I was a sinner, when we were enemies of God, we were walking in darkness, alienated from God, not, not knowing much about anything but ourselves, God saved us out of that. This is our great salvation. It's in the greatness of the Savior, the greatness of the Scriptures, the greatness of the Spirit, and the greatness of having been saved, being saved, and yet will be saved. Why? Lest we drift away. That slow, imperceptible slipping away from our great salvation from our great Savior, from the great Scriptures, from our great Holy Spirit, from the greatness that we experience because God saved us from our sin by putting our faith in the gospel. And he is changing us and transforming us in the image of Jesus Christ. God is doing that, and he who began that good work will complete it. Now, Hebrews 
The book of Hebrews is written to believers and their salvation. Certainly, it's indirectly calling, giving the invitation to anyone. But the book itself is saying to you as a believer, do not neglect what you have. Now, you don't neglect what you don't have. Someone said, what must I do to be lost? Nothing. But to be saved, I must respond to God's invitation. So the question inevitably follows, are you saved? From what? From sin. The wage of sin is death. Have you given your life to Christ through repentance from your sin and faith in God? Because that is the beginning of understanding what a great salvation. In fact, I would say when I got saved, it was the pinnacle that just keeps going up. When my life became, and then when I walked away from God for several years, and I came back to him, and I sat in the pew in Calvary Chapel, Coast Maine, I said, where have I been? Where have I been? I'll tell you where I was. I was neglecting this great salvation for years. And it was imperceptible. It wasn't like I was mad at God or faking my, no, I was just living my life for me. I was going about doing what I'm doing with all my friends. And then one day on a tennis court in Virginia, through a Bible track, <laughs> I said, where you been? <laughs> what have you been doing? I realized I had neglected. I didn't, at the time, didn't, this wouldn't be the scripture I would think of. All I thought of is, if I don't get right with God, I'm going to hell. And some come through fear. I'm telling you, I came back to God in fear. Someone once said, what does fear mean? What does fear God mean? It means fear God. Don't fear those who can, you know, do this, that. But fear him who once you're dead, he can put you in cash. You see, that's a warning from a loving, just, holy, righteous, merciful, gracious God. He's saying, hey, where are you going? And thus requires. Realizing this great salvation is ours. And we must be careful not to neglect it. So in Hebrews, we're considering salvation, listen, in its completeness, in its fullness. This is what it should be. This is what it should look like. And any relationship that's going to have any grit to it, any depth to it, requires attention. So don't neglect it. It's to those who inherit salvation, which means it's something set in place in the past to be a sure hope presently and be fully possessed yet future. So Hebrews is steeped in Old Testament scriptures, as we looked at last week. Seven of the six quotes in this one are from Psalms. And as you read the book of Psalms, Come across the word save. Come across the word salvation. And what you find, it describes deliverance of God's people and the blessings that follow. That's salvation. That's our salvation. It's this fullness of God delivering us from sin 
not just the penalty of sin, but the very power of sin in this life and in future, the very presence of sin for all eternity. Now, that sounds pretty great to me. And so he's describing these things in salvation in verse Psalm 3.8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings upon your people. We just did the responsive reading. It belongs to God. Psalm 18, I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom I will trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, so shall I be saved from my enemies. You have also given me the shield of your salvation. Your right hand has held me up. And this, sent, this verse I heard one time, I didn't even know where it was. But it's so struck. Your gentleness has made me great. You talk about a great, the gentleness of God with me, with us, in loving us. You see, believers will experience difficulties. Will experience suffering. The reminder is this. The final and complete triumph of Jesus over all his enemies will be completed. And so in the meantime, what are we to do? We must give the more earnest heed to things we heard lest we drift away. So the greatness of the Savior, when neglected, you will drift away in your love for him. That's what happens. When Jesus is no longer the greatest, I have, and so you will, Drift away from my love for him. Oh, I might be busy. I might be preaching sermons. I might be doing a lot of things. But where is my heart with him? You see, if that's neglected, Jesus is going to make, is going to make that known as he did in the church in Ephesus. He said, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot stand those who are evil. You've tested those who say they're apostles or not and have found them liars. And you have persevered, I've patience, and have labored for my name's sake. Have not become weary. You say, wow, what a great church. And indeed, it was a great church. Well, when Jesus begins pointing out, hey, I have this against you. You've left your first love. He's speaking to the church corporately in that sense. But the church corporately is us individually. So when Jesus says that to the church in Ephesus, as I read that, I think, okay, what about me? And you should read it in the same way. Have you left your first love? Is he the greatest in your life? The supreme? Secondly, the greatness of the scriptures. For if the word spoken through angels proves steadfast. Verse 2, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. He's talking about the angels and the transgressions of obedience that came in not obeying God's word. When neglected, the scriptures, you will drift away from your faith in him. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You want to increase your faith, you want to strengthen your faith, you want to grow in your faith, you need to be taking in the word of God. I've said that, we know that, we understand that. The writer's saying, hey, give it up, go up a notch. How great are the scriptures in your life? 
in my life. When neglected, you will drift away from your faith. Be no other way. So take heed in doing your homework in the scriptures. Take heed in taking time in the scriptures. Now it says, because God, when he says something, it happens. <laughs> it's true. It's proved to be true every time. The law given through the angels, which is mentioned in Acts chapter 7 and Galatians chapter 3. The angels were involved when God gave to Moses the law. And every transgression or disobedience received a just reward. According to the law, according to God's relationship with them and his provision for them, God didn't say, oh, well, that's okay. That's not what happens. Proverbs is filled with God's warnings and wisdom. In Proverbs 1, it says, because they hated knowledge, did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would have none of my counsel, despise my every rebuke. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way and be filled, with the full, filled to the full with their own fancies. For the turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. Do not neglect the scriptures. The greatness of the Spirit, he says in verse 4 of Hebrews 2. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. God is working through his Holy Spirit in many different ways. We are born again by the Spirit of God. But listen, the great when neglected, I will drift and you will drift from your joy in him. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. This is David repenting. Do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. The kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. How's your joy? See, joy isn't based on circumstances. Joy is based on relationship. And through the Holy Spirit of God given to us, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit. That's not going to help our joy. We can Resist the Holy Spirit. That's not going to help our joy at all. It's when we surrender to the Holy Spirit through the word of God that our joy becomes complete, becomes full. Paul, in writing to the Romans, said, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may, that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Galatians, the fruit of the Spirit, is among many things, joy. And then now, just to close, it's the greatness of being saved. When neglected, you will drift away from your hope in the grace of God. Think about that. Our hope is in the mercy and grace of God. 
mercy not getting what we deserve, but the grace of God, God lavishing on us his love and goodness. So when neglected, I begin to drift away from my hope, which is in the grace of God. Ephesians tells us this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He chose us in him. He goes on to say, by the glory of his grace. In him we have redemption by the riches of his grace. In him we have obtained an inheritance being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. To him we also trusted, in whom also after we heard the word of truth, the gospel of our salvation, in him also having believed, we were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. This is all ours because we responded to the gospel. It's our hope, the joy that God gives to us, the faith that he gives to us, his presence in knowing him leads to this great salvation. It leads to this hope. It leads to understanding the grace of God. More spiritual problems are caused by neglect than perhaps by any other failure on our part, unquote, Warren Wiersbe. Do not neglect so great a salvation. See, you will drift away in your worship of him. I and you will drift away in our prayers to him. You and I will drift away in our fellowship with him when these things are neglected. We will drift away in our service for him. Now, as with the book, as with the Ephesus church, we may be doing a lot of things, but in the heart is where the real measure of how great Jesus is in my life, in your life. So as we continue our study in Hebrews, all of these neglects, all of these drifts will be addressed. We've just skimmed the surface. We're just hitting them this morning. Now, it's found in the context of the grace of God. As he addressed it seven times in the book of Hebrews, we're going to come across the grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God. Come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may find grace to help in time of need. Now, he says, they insulted the spirit of grace. That's possible. Some fall short of the spirit of grace or the grace of God. But let us have grace to serve God. Let our hearts be established by grace in the love of God. And so, to close, being Mother's Day, I wanted to share a couple testimonies as to so great a salvation for you moms. Some of Christian history's greatest preachers, theologians, and missionaries owe the first fruits of their ministries, not to their exegetical insights, homiletic abilities, or spiritual zeal, 
but instead to the faithful prayers of their godly mothers. I can attest to that. Not that I'm one of these great preachers. I'm not, I'm just saying, my mom prayed for me. When I was walking away from the Lord and I was doing all these things while I even lived with them. And they put up with it. And they didn't come. And, and I, when I came back to the Lord and they came to visit me in California, I said, why didn't you kick me out of your house? Boom, you're gone. And my mom said, because we knew you wouldn't listen to me, so we wanted to know where you were and we were praying for you. Moms, your prayers are heard in heaven. Don't stop. You stay at it in your, pr- in your prayers. In the lives of countless Christians throughout the ages, God often granted second births as a result of those who gave them their first, unquote. Susanna Wesley was another Christian mother whose witness and love for her children helped alter the course of church history. Born in England in 1669, Wesley oversaw the spiritual and educational development of her, check it out, 19 children. Ten of whom survived. You talk heartache. Ten of whom survived to adulthood. When her husband Samuel was away from the house for, for lengthy periods, on a rotating basis, each child had a night for individual conversation and prayer with Susanna. She wrote commentaries on the Apostles' Creed, the Ten Commandments, and the Lord's Prayer as curriculum for her children. You might say, that. well, that's not very encouraging. <laughs> How does she do that? One of her sons, John, led thousands to Christ and organized what became known after his death as the Methodist Church. Another son, Charles Wesley, wrote more than 6,000 hymns, many of them you know. Susanna has been called the mother of Methodism. That's how you say it, right? Yeah. Though she never preached and published very few writings. Susanna patterns for us a mother who worked tirelessly to provide for her children. She shows us the power and influence that a mother can have over the development of a child's theology, spirituality, and worldview. She proved to be a woman of great resilience in the face of a domestic life riddled with difficulty, illness, and loss. And so my prayer, if you would bow your head, I'm just going to read Ephesians. Here's the prayer for all of us, but specifically for you, Mom. Therefore, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward you who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, Jesus, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all. So, Lord, we would just pray this over the moms in this room. Pray this over the moms listening, watching. That, Lord, you would grant to them these things that Paul prayed and many of the other things that are on their hearts. I would pray, Lord, over the moms who have a lot of ache in their hearts today. We pray comfort, Lord.
comfort them. We pray for the wayward ones who have so hurt the heart. You draw them back to you. Even today. Lord, we, we are so thankful for our moms. Thankful for our grandmas. Those whom you've given such a heart of care and love and concern like no other. So my prayer, Lord, our prayer, bless them today in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?